pleasure again to uh, um, bring you one of the series in our sun. Just turn it down a little bit, Malcolm. It's a bit echoey. Uh, one, one of the series in our psalm, Psalm 39, and I would imagine that it's probably not on many people's list of their favourites. Um, but it's, it's one of those that, as Eric correctly said, that's known as a, a psalm of lament. And uh, a, a typical, a more, e even more typical one of this would be Psalm 13, which goes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? <coughs> Look, too often, I think, we try to portray ourselves as always um, always happy, always victorious, um, and, and look, I've met—I I think I've met one or two Christians in my lifetime who, who, genuinely fit into that category. They—they uh, I, I, they just never seem to be depressed, uh, at least on the outside. They're always on top of things, but I think for most of us, that—that's not always the case. And clearly, for David and the other psalm writers, it, it certainly wasn't always the way things were for them. Uh, this, uh, as we said, is a, what's known as a psalm of lament, and apparently about one-third of all the psalms fit into that category. And yet it's interesting that the songs we sing, we remember the, the book of Psalms is a book of the songs of Israel, that actually very few of our songs that we sing in church would be called a lament hardly any of them most of them are uh, victorious and and about all the great things God has done for us I'm not saying we shouldn't do that of course we should but maybe there's there's something not quite right with our with with our uh, choice of songs these days when uh, God's songbook contains one third of pretty sad laments um, yeah, you know, sure, there's plenty of joyful psalms. I mean, the, the book starts off, um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or, or, or stands in the way of sinners. Or, uh, uh, you, you know, that, Psalm 1 is just such a, a positive statement of, of, uh, uh, of the way things are with those who are saved. But even then, David's often troubled by um, the wicked amongst him. Uh, you know, Psalm 139 would be one that many people would list among their, their favourites. Uh, you know, O Lord, you have searched me, you know me, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. It, it's a strong and confident statement of God's sovereignty and uh, it, his intimate care of his people. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But, you know, even in this psalm, David, it comes to a couple of lines that kind of grate with us a bit. He says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, and do I not hate those who hate you? So these things acknowledge the reality that that yes, God is sovereign in all things and he is good and he cares for his people. But his people live in a fallen world where bad things happen. At least they seem bad to us at the time. 
we read and hear all the time about Christians in, in other countries where uh, typically, I suppose, West Africa would be the centre of persecution at the moment, Western North Africa. Uh, you know, I would imagine that the people living in Nigeria would pretty strongly relate to, to lines like, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Uh, and even in, a, even in our country where, where we don't have those problems, uh, we still, we're still going to suffer from the things that, ever, that afflict everybody. Uh, you know, disease, natural disasters, uh, accidents, they're still going, going to happen to us. There's, you know, obviously there's been plenty of ink spilt on this topic of, uh, of how, why does a good God allow his people to suffer? And uh, look, if, you, if you're looking for a really detailed treatment of it, uh, and I think one of the, the best books, uh, certainly the best one that I've read on the subject, there's one called How Long, O Lord, uh, that by Don Carson. And uh, he starts that, that book off by relating some people he knows, that, 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 that Christians who have really suffered. Uh, uh, and one that, that I've re I remember was a, a rural family in in the state somewhere uh, a, a loving christian family of six kids uh, with four boys who were all born as haemophiliacs so they depended on having re regular blood transfusion just to stay alive and as long as they had that they were healthy but this is in the 1980s and unknown to anyone the nation's blood supply became contaminated with aids and uh, two of the Brothers died fairly quickly. Uh, a third one was, had, at the time that Don wrote the book, had tested positive but was still well. And the fourth one refused to be tested. But you would think it would be just a matter of time. So, you know, these things, these things do happen. And when, when they do happen, what are we to do? Where is God? Look, I, I don't claim to have had anything as bad as that happen, obviously not, but, but all of us have times of struggle and, and, and trouble. And Psalm 39 is actually, um, perhaps, perhaps it says something about my character, but it is one of my favourites because of a few... Uh, Shelley and I went through a bit of a tough time about uh, 12, 13 years ago where we just seemed to have one thing after another that went seriously wrong. And... Shelley was in Adelaide with Rick while he was having chemotherapy and we were talking to each other on the phone and bemoaning our, our lot. And uh, a bit later on, Shelley sent me a text that said, read Psalm 39. Uh, I, you know, I have this wife that throughout our marriage has always, or since we became Christians, has always been, for some reason, God uses her. She, she, I think my knowledge of the scriptures is greater than hers, but somehow she will come up with a Bible reading that actually really speaks to our hearts at the right time. And it was good advice to read that psalm. I mean, on the surface, it's a pretty miserable psalm. It starts with a reminder of the ever-present wickedness that's in this world and our own unwillingness to do anything about it. But as always, though, David sees the solution in his God. And so he asked Yahweh to show him something something that's obvious to all of us, and yet often we just don't see it. That, that is how short and apparently insignificant is our life. We, 
We read there in, in verse 4, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of me, my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. I'm about to turn 69 in a couple of weeks, but it seems only yesterday that I was young and fit. And now I'm getting old and I'm not as fit as I was. Um, I have, have an uncle who's 93 and still going well and I have an auntie who's 97 who's still going well and so if I happen to inherit their genetics, which I probably haven't, but if I had, I mean at best I might have another 20, 25 years. But so what? If I die tomorrow, is it actually any different? That doesn't make any difference to anything. To, is it any different to living to 97? I mean, very quickly, we're gone and we're all forgotten and life moves on. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And from Psalm 103, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But Psalm 39, though, isn't a psalm of complete despair. Uh, there are psalms like that. Uh, one I would point you to is Psalm 88. Uh, that, that finishes like this. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. And the darkness is my closest friend. Strangely, I strongly re recommend that if you're going through a hard time, that Psalm 88 is a great one to read. At least I've found it really helpful and comforting. And I'm not sure why. But perhaps it's just reassuring to know that God's people have faced this before. You're not the first one. You're not the only one. But back to, to Psalm 39, David says, after he's emphasised the brevity of his own life and the, his inevitable death, but now, O oh Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Everything comes down to this. All of life, the, the good times, the easy times and the tough times. You know, atheists and sceptics say, where is your God at times like this? You know, why doesn't he do something? That, that's what, it's a fair question, I suppose, and it, it, it's one that the mockers asked of Jesus when he was dying on the cross. They said he, he trusts in God, let him deliver him if he wants to. At times like this, when, when things seem really bleak and hope seems a long way off, well, that's when we need to go back to the basic principles of our faith. But one thing that I've found helpful over the years, if I get in a, a bit of a depressed state and think that, you know, I start to wonder, have I believed in vain? Is it all for nothing? What I do is this. I sit down somewhere quiet and I ask myself, have I found out some new information that shows me that Jesus didn't die for me? No. Or has some compelling new evidence come to life that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? No. 
Therefore, I'll continue to trust that God is good. My hope is in you. Don't be silent. This psalm says that David, in his depressive state, he was silent. He didn't say anything. But don't be silent and sit brooding. He says, I was mute and silent. Speak out. Cry out to God for help. Verse 12 says that. This also is a, a basic principle of our relationship with God. And it's a very regular thing in Psalms and it's a regular thing in the history of Israel. When they fell into sin and their enemies overwhelmed them, what did they do? They cried to the Lord and in their trouble and he delivered them, Psalm 107. Are you in any kind of trouble or distress? Cry out to the Lord. It works. He will hear you. He will act. And be careful not to fall into the, well, you know, what about so-and-so? Well, you know, I knew this bloke, he was a Christian and this bad thing happened to him. Don't worry about what God is doing with other people. Concentrate on your own relationship with God. Has God been faithful to you in the past? Has he not shown himself good and trustworthy? Why will he not continue to do so? Well, after um, David affirms that his hope is in Yahweh, he then acknowledges that he deserves nothing from God. Save me from my transgressions, he says in verse 8. In fact, he deserves only punishment, just like us. David recognises this, but also that the suffering he's experiencing is for his own good. God, God will not allow his chosen people to go on sinning to the point where they go away from him because he knows that that'll cause them to stop worshipping him and start worshipping false gods the trouble is the thing I've found the trouble is that God's discipline is never pleasant it's not meant to be it's happening in order to get our attention and so that we'll turn to him again and David is not enjoying it either. He says so there in verse 10 and 11. He, he even finishes this psalm by asking God to stop. He says, look away from me that I may rejoice again. Stop paying attention to me. Let me go. But will Yahweh do such a thing? Will he give up on those he loves? Look, I, I re recognise that this whole thing is a pretty contentious issue. And I don't want you to think that I'm saying your cancer, your heart problem, your financial difficulties or whatever are being caused by God to teach you something or correct some sin in your life. I mean, it might be. We should always recognise that it might be. Jesus teaches us in, in Luke 13 that his people may suffer and it will have nothing to do with their sinfulness. You know, when he talked about Pilate mingling his the Galileans blood with his sacrifices and and when a, a tower collapsed on some people and killed them um, you know ultimately he says we all deserve punishment but when suffering comes upon us it's wise I think to examine our own lives and ask is there something I'm doing which is offensive to God is God trying to teach me something you know C.S. Lewis who famously said that that God whispers to us in our good times and shouts to us in our suffering. 
there may not be a reason. You know, you may be just, it may be just the fallen creation. You know, that's why you're sick or why you're in trouble or whatever. But I, that's well and good. But I remember Rick and I went to a, the same service in a different church once and uh, there was a bloke preaching who, was a, who claimed to have a healing ministry. And he, he made the statement that God never wants you to be sick. Uh, I mean, on one level that's true, of course, because one day we'll, there'll be no more sickness. It's not, when, when, when Jesus returns, it's all going to be fixed. There'll be no more sickness, no more death, no more crying. But that's not the world we live in now. And, and God may well be using, he may well have caused, like, this was in the context of Rick and I had both had cancer, both the same cancer. And I was talking to Rick about it after and I said, well, what do you think of that? And he said, he said, it's just not right. He said, God, that was the greatest time of my life was when I was recovering from cancer because God used it mightily in my life. And I, I found the same thing also. So David goes on, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. So David here is suffering under God's discipline. He says nothing though, because like all people, like us, he stands condemned and guilty before God. What can we say in our defence? The devil made me do it. It's all his fault. Will that work? Didn't go that well for Adam and Eve. All we can do is go to the cross and plead the blood of Jesus. Him, he died for me. Look, I suppose the message I, I want to get across today is this. At some point in this life, you will suffer. Very few, if any, people get to live a trouble-free life and then die peacefully in their sleep. And as Christians, we need to be prepared because we shouldn't suffer like other people. Because our trust in God, is, is, it needs to be not shaken. Even in the midst of trouble, God is still God. He's still in charge and he's still good. And it may seem strange that he's seen fit to, to put these psalms, uh, these psalms of lament. I mean, some of them almost look a lot, you could say they look like songs of complaint, like Psalm 42, which we're going to sing in a minute. Why have you forgotten me? <coughs> but nothing in his word is there without a reason. And I strongly commend these ancient so songs to you even the miserable Psalm 88. None of our suffering will compare with the man who went to the cross and didn't deserve it. He was afflicted by God and crushed and abandoned by his friends. In the garden, he questioned God, Father, if possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me. 
do I have to do this effectively is what he's saying. Isn't there another way? For long dark hours, he wrestled with his father all alone. But in the end, it was not my will but yours be done. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you're suffering, or maybe not, and you start to question your trust in God, some people do. I think most of us do. You might ask, how can I be sure that God loves me? You know, I've, I've never had an experience of God like other people. I, I've never seen any signs or wonders or miracles. So how can I be sure, God, that, that this is all true? Well, don't look for assurance anywhere but in the finished work of Christ. If your faith is resting on some or other experience, what happens when you don't trust your memory? Go for Christ alone. Remember that justification leads to sanctification. It's not the other way around. You know, we often live as if, as if I just live a good enough life, then God will justify me. I'll finish with a, a quote from Tim Keller. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe, while at the same time I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope.